It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. This is Lighthouse Faith Podcast, moving forward in truth and love. I'm Lauren Green, Chief Religion Correspondent for Fox News Channel and author of the book, Lighthouse Faith. Hebron uh, is probably the, the biggest city in the Palestinian West Bank and probably one of the most contested areas in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. In fact, it's been called a microcosm of the entire conflict. It has a population of about 200,000, um, about 1,000 um, Israeli settlers, I think. Um, While our reference point has been the modern-day political conflicts, Hebron has enormous biblical significance to Jews, Christians, and Muslims. The city of Hebron is where King David ruled before ascending the throne in Jerusalem. It is where we believe uh, it is near the Garden of Eden and the cave that Abraham purchased to bury his wife Sarah. In fact, King Herod, I think, built a structure over the cave that you can still see today. It's called the Tomb of the Patriarchs and Matriarchs. Uh, Buried there is Abraham and Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, and Leah. A great swath of the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, takes place in Hebron, and, and a lot of what Christians know as the Old Testament takes place there too. And the tomb of the patriarchs and matriarchs hold secrets that can help us understand who God is and his relationship with humanity. Yishai Fleischer is the post spokesman for the Jewish community in Hebron, and he joins me now. Welcome, Yishai. Thank you very much, Lauren. This is this is fun to talk about such a ancient and important site for so many peoples, uh, and yet often misunderstood because it's been overshadowed uh, by the conflict and the the biblical history and the spiritual history is oftentimes lost. Yeah, I'm just fascinated by this. So, explain kind of briefly the the importance of Hebron biblically. Well, I would do it briefly, but it's not the briefest of things because. Uh, <laughs> It's it's uh, it's it's actually quite significant, and you know today everybody knows Jerusalem, and Jerusalem, um, you know, is the heart of it all. Uh, but before there was a Jerusalem, really Israel's first capital uh, was Hebron, which is the ancient capital of the tribe of Judah, and yes. e- even before that, it's really the place where in chapter twenty-three of the book of Genesis, uh, we are told of a purchase that Abraham made in Hebron 3,800 years ago. And that is the first purchase of Abraham in the land of Israel. And this follows the death of his beloved wife, Sarah. And mm. the, the Bible tells us right, right, that, that noise that you just made, that hum, is exactly the, the deep point here, which is yeah. this is about love. This whole mm. thing starts from Abraham wanting to honor and, and cry over and eulogize his wife, Sarah. Now, if, if we think about uh, women 3,800 years ago, they did not have the same social standing that they have today. And yet the Bible goes out of its way to tell us the story about how much Abraham loved Sarah and how he wanted to cry over her and eulogize her. That's the words of the Bible. And he comes to Hebron to bury her, and yet he wants a plot of land that's specific, and that plot of land is controlled by the Hittites, uh, who are basically from what today is Turkey and and parts of them, p- groups of them are living in the Holy Land. Mm-hmm. And he negotiates. And the, the Bible spares no, uh, the usually laconic Bible spares no words in explaining to us how the discourse went 
between Abraham and the Hittites and how he negotiated for this plot of land. Anyway, he's able finally to purchase this plot of land for for 400 silver pieces of excuse me, 400 silver pieces, right? Wow, uh, how much it, is that today? I mean, we, we have, is, do you know what it is in like today's money? We think of, of it, we think of it as about $800,000 US wow. dollars, okay. uh, which is, which is, which is funny because at some point his interlocutor, Abraham's interlocutor says to him, what's 400 silver pieces between me and you? <laughs> uh, and it's very Middle Eastern. It's, it, and, and if you read it after having visited you know, a Middle Eastern marketplace, either in Jerusalem or in, you know, uh, in Istanbul or one of the great markets of the Middle East, then you can hear that very same tone uh, of discussion. Hey, what's this between me and you? It's 400 <laughs> silver pieces. And and Abraham weighs out the silver pieces to him. Uh, the, the interesting word is shekel, which is the same coinage that Israel has today, but it comes from the word mishkal, which means weight. Mm. And it's silver okay. pieces of weight. Uh, and he hands over those silver pieces of weight to Ephron the Hittite, and he purchases it as an eternal burial place for Sarah. But then in, in the very same kind of Torah portion, in the very same uh, – not, not in the same chapter, but, but in the same area, uh, we're told a little bit later that Abraham uh, himself passes away, and his sons, his two sons, Isaac and Ishmael, Yes. bury him together in the very same plot. Now, why that's important is, is for two reasons. Number one is it starts the understanding that this was not just Sarah's plot, but actually Sarah and Abraham, making it a place of couples. And I really appreciate how you called uh, this place uh, known today as the Tomb of the Patriarchs and Matriarchs. Sometimes people leave off the word matriarchs and they just call it Tomb of the Patriarchs. But I always say, no, that, that's not right. It's Tomb of the Patriarchs and Matriarchs. It's all about Sarah and Abraham. It's the couples that make this place what it is. And the other couple is the two sons of, of Abraham, which is, which is Isaac and Ishmael. Now, the Arabs today believe that Ishmael is their forefather, and the Jews believe that Isaac is their forefather. So the father and of, of course, the Arabs— Christians see, see the line of Isaac, um, as in that's Isaac right. and— We'll see Isaac and then Jacob, and the uh, one of Jacob's twelve sons, Judah, is in the line of Judah. That's right, and so and so for, but 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 for our purposes right now, because of the conflict that we do have here, it's just interesting that Arabs and Jews bury their joint father, their shared father Abraham. And I always say that to my Arab cousins and and, and my Arab interlocutors myself. I say to them, let's honor our joint father, our shared father. Uh, let's let's beautify this place and make peace in this place because that's exactly what would give honor to the father that we share. Isn't uh, it some- odd though the, that that we are, what we're saying is that the Jews and the Arabs they're really essentially brothers. They're not, you know, they're, they're related and they're, they they share blood and yet they have such a such a, con- a contentious relationship. Well, then then now you can really believe that they're family, right? Uh, yeah, I guess so. Right, a family family is sometimes contentious. Sometimes, uh, if if you know, sometimes sometimes brothers you know can make great things happen together, and sometimes brothers just drive each other crazy uh, for no particular reason, but just drive. And sisters the same way. Sometimes it's just there's something about being blood that makes you nuts, and and also sometimes we compete for father's love and, and father's you know respect or father's heritage. Um, and so, you know, who's, who's the, who's the true seed of Abraham. Mm -hmm. And, and if you look throughout history, uh, the, the tomb of the patriarchs and matriarchs has been competed over by the Jews, 
by the Muslims, by the Christians, by the Muslims again, and and finally by the Jews again. And and really, I mean, the 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 history of the tomb of the patriarchs and matriarchs is that it was controlled uh, for a long time by ancient Israel, uh, and then it became uh, a Roman building, and then it mm-hmm. became uh, later on uh, first Arab conquest. They took it over. In around 637, and then afterwards, the Crusaders came in 1099, and then the, they were replaced by the Mamluks, and the Mamluks were replaced by the Turks, but the Ottoman Turks, and then they were replaced by by the Brits, and then the Brits, the Jordanians, and then uh, finally back uh, Israel again. So you know, everybody kind of wants a piece of the rock. When you say <laughs> piece of the rock, that that phrase is really true about the Middle East. It's very true about both the tomb of the patriarchs and matriarchs in Hebron, and certainly true about the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. These are related sites, and they have related kind of energies and, 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 and importance. So but let's go back. Let's go back even before Abraham. Right. What is the significance of Hebron before mm. Abraham even? Right. So, so this is now uh, extra biblical, I like to call it. And according to the Jewish Kabbalah, which is the mystical doctrines, uh, in fact, the first couple to be buried, there are Adam and Eve. Whoa. Okay. That's, that's right. really the beginning. That's really the beginning. And it also fuses if let's say, let's, let's accept that axiomatically for a second that Adam and Eve are buried there. Well, if that's true, then it fuses the Jewish tradition, which is the, the first family of Israel, Abraham and Sarah, Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, and Leah. And then it fuses that with the more universal vision, which is the burial place of, of Adam and Eve. In any case, the, the Jewish Kabbalah tells the story that, that Abraham was tending his flock and one of his cattle, one of his young calves, ran into a cave complex and, and he chased after it. And, and there he saw uh, Adam and Eve laying there uh, on beds with a type of menorah above their heads. And they were like, uh, they were not dead. They were kind of sleeping. Uh, and he understood that this was the entrance to the Garden of Eden. And for Jews, the tomb of the patriarchs and matriarchs is, is in fact the entrance to the Garden uh, of Eden. We have signs like that there to this very day. And that, mm. that means that there's lore that says all the prayers that, that people have go first through this place. And it's, there's, a, there's a mysticism behind it. There's a connection between heaven and earth. And so because Abraham we've wants- never, we've never really physically, archaeologi- archaeologically speaking, there's never been a discovery of the Garden of Eden. Is that correct? No. And if you if you read Genesis, then it may seem to be somewhere in Babylonia, uh, Babylon, and uh, you know in Iraq, between the two rivers. That's one understanding of it. Uh, but but on a more metaphysical plane, and really, mm-hmm. I think I think mm-hmm. if you read the Book of Genesis, you understand that the Garden of Eden, if it is in a place, it might be. But its real meaning is more metaphysical. It's there to to teach us something. It's there to, to convey something about, about a perfect world that existed, that, that could, can exist again. Um, but so for Jews, the entrance, that's, we, don't, we don't call it the Garden of Eden. We call it the portal, the entrance to the Garden of Eden. That's the mm-hmm. tomb of the patriarchs and matriarchs. And in any case, Adam, uh, so, so Adam and Eve, well, you know, Christians will say, well, it doesn't say that in the Bible. And I, I like to tell Christian folks, my, my Christian friends, I like to say, well, you know, we, the Jewish people, we've been carrying carrying around the Bible for 3,500 years. It's in our language. It's about our family. So we may have some extra information that you can, <laughs> yes. that you, that you can buy into or not. Uh, but, but certainly the Bible tells about Abraham and Sarah, then Isaac and Rebekah, and, and then Leah is buried in that very same uh, plot. Rachel is not. 
This Rachel is an is interesting in thing because the tomb, you, we understand if you look at the, the, the book of Genesis, Rachel has, is buried on the way she, soon after she gives birth to Benjamin. Right. Right. Um, why is it that she, you know, there's a wonderful book by Leon Cass called The Beginning of Wisdom, um, mm-hmm. Understanding Genesis. And he talks about, it doesn't go through the controversy of whether or not these things actually happen, whether there's a Garden of Eden, whether there's an Adam and Eve. He really starts looking, does an exegesis of the wisdom in the book of Genesis and what it's trying to teach us. And I think that's an interest. I've always wanted to understand why is Rachel not buried with Jacob and Leah? Um, Leah and and Rachel um, are sisters, right? Um, And Leah the older. Rachel, the pretty young one, Leah was the oldest and she was not, she had weak eyes. I'm not quite sure what that meant, um, but I think we understand it to be that she was not as attractive or physically so as Rachel. Um, but between the two women um, and their and their maids, they gave um, Jacob 12 sons, which are the 12 tribes of Israel. Right. But was it, what, can you, can you kind of give some background of like why Rachel is not buried with Leah and Jacob? Well, I think I think uh, I'll give you. Uh, I'll put on my rabbi hat and I'll uh, <laughs> okay. give you my 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 explanation, which is um, we see it actually in the in the book of Jeremiah, chapter thirty-two, famous phrase that Rachel refuses to be consoled. Uh, she continuously cries for her children to come home, and that's the theme of the ingathering of the exiles that the Jewish people are going to come home to the land of Israel, and many of the promises in the Bible that this land will be. Uh, the Jewish people will repatriate this land, come back to it. And and Rachel refuses to be consoled. She cries. Now, if you come to the tomb of the patriarchs and matriarchs, you realize that the couples are there together, Abraham and Sarah, Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, and Leah. There's something of a consolation there. There's something at peace there. You know, the family's all there, the moms and the dads. It's grandma and grandpa's living room, <laughs> and, they're, and they're all there. Rachel, she refuses to be consoled. She refuses to take that consolation. She's she doesn't have a husband who's going to you know calm her down or something like that. She refuses to be consoled. She will continuously cry for her children to come home until they do. And and there's a there's a demand there, mm. a demand of God to fulfill that promise. And so Rachel is buried on the way. Uh, it's still in progress. There's no completion for it. And when when uh, when Jews uh, do what we call Aliyah, which is moving to the land of Israel, I always tell them, go to the tomb of Rachel. Tell her that she can keep crying, but not for you. Say, I'm home. You don't have to cry for me. There's others. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think that's, that's why Rachel's alone. She, she refuses to, be, to have that consolation. That's how I understand it. Uh, we're going to take a break right now here on Lighthouse Faith Podcast. We'll be right back with you. Shai Fleischer going to talk about Hebron. And I'm wanting, when we come back, I want to talk about King Herod because he plays a, a major part in this as well. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Okay, we're back uh, with the Lighthouse Faith um, podcast, talking with Yishai Fleischer. He is the um, head of the Jewish community in Hebron. And we're talking about Hebron um, or you're the spokesman for the Jewish community in Hebron. I'm sorry. That's right. That's right. Um, and we're talking about Hebron and the, the biblical significance of it. King Herod plays a huge part in the significance of, he- of, of Hebron. What is that? 
So, so we were talking about who was buried there, and the, the last of the forefathers to be buried there is Jacob. Now, he's, he's dying in Egypt, and he requests at the very, very end of the book of Genesis, he commands his children to, bear, to take him from Egypt, his body, and bury him in Hebron at the tomb of the patriarchs and matriarchs. And they do so. His last words were, that's why I want you to bury me. When he says that, he lifts his feet onto the bed and he expires. The, the sons are sworn to do so, and they take him to Hebron to bury him. That's the end of the book of Genesis. Yeah. Uh, and Herod, many, many years later, so, so the, the, the final burial of Jacob was about 3,500 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Herod comes about 1,500 years after that, about 2,000 years ago. Okay? And so 2,000 years ago, we're talking about the second temple period. We're talking about the second uh, commonwealth of Israel. Um, and the Romans are in charge. And Herod, he's a, he's a very unusual character. Uh, he kills his Jewish wife, but then regrets it, takes her body, puts it in honey as to preserve her and speaks Ooh. to her for three years. Uh, he kills that's, some of his yeah, sons. Say that's strange. Right. Well, I like to say today we would say that he's got issues. Okay. He's got some <laughs> issues. And the Christian folks also, you know, uh, know uh, about Herod and, and, and what he did. And, and the birth and, of Jesus and, and the killing right. of the innocents. And, um, right. And the there's, there's a lot of traditions about Herod. Yeah. Uh, he's a name that's known in history um, and, and name known for some bad stuff. But on the other hand, uh, he was also a brilliant, brilliant builder. Yeah. And today, some, some, uh, some researchers believe that he was the greatest builder in the Roman world, which is saying a lot. Yeah. And he built the Caesarea, the Caesarea port. He built Masada. He built many other things here. Many of those things still have remnants. Uh, for example, the Western Wall is a giant remnant. The truth is, is that the Eastern, Western, Northern, and Southern Wall still exist. And they are a remnant, giant remnant, of the platform that he built on the Temple Mount to house the Second Temple. But one of his greatest projects uh, was the monumental building on top of the Tomb of the Patriarchs and Matriarchs. Now, the tombs themselves are in the caves below the building. But Herod came and put up this giant... When I say giant, what am I talking about? I'm talking about one of the world's largest mausoleums, which is built with stones that some of them weigh 30, 40 tons. And this thing is shaped to remind one of Roman mausoleums crossed with uh, the tabernacle. There's like a there, there's there's a look there, and Dr. Noam Arnon uh, has studied this and recently received his doctorate on exactly what was Herod designing when he was building the tomb of the patriarchs and matriarchs. And so, so when I say today the tomb of the patriarchs and matriarchs, everybody you know that that's seen the building or has seen pictures of it thinks of this iconic giant building. But that's not where the tombs are. The tombs are underneath the building. This mm-hmm. building is a, is a marker. This building is a monument, and originally designed when you went into the building, you went to the top floor, and there were these six cenotaphs. What are cenotaphs? What are cenotaphs? That's a Greek word, and that word mm-hmm. means tomb monument. And when you came in, there was no roof, there was no ceiling, but you saw these six markers inside the building and the markers were marked, Abraham and Sarah, Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, and Leah. They are found and extant to this very day. And what Herod was doing was because he himself was a kind of quasi-Jew, his father was a forced convert, uh, he Mm -hmm. basically wanted to show his honor for being a patron 
of the of of Jewish religion, and he therefore built this two monument. We think before the Temple Mount. And the amazing thing, which which is so amazing that it's that it's a little bit when I say it, it's it it kind of it's hard to convey it. The amazing thing is that building is completely intact, alive and well today, and has continuously been serving what it was intended to serve from its onset two thousand years ago. It's wow. if you walk in, I had a I had a Christian tourist, and uh, years ago, and. I was showing him this two thousand year old building, and he looks at me and he says, "This is all this is all well and nice, but where's the archaeology?" And and <laughs> okay, and 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 I never forgot that story because it was so funny to me. And the reason he said that was actually pretty obvious. It doesn't look like archaeology. It looks like wow. it's alive and well. And the floor that people walk on is a two thousand year old floor that people have been walking on for two thousand years without stop always calling the place the same thing. If, if it's an Islamic or in Christian or in Jewish outlooks, this was always the tomb of Abraham and the tomb of the forefathers and mothers. It was sometimes called Abraham's castle and sometimes called the mosque of Abraham, but everybody agreed that those six were buried there. Sometimes people also agreed to the Adam and Eve thing, but nobody denied in history that this is the place of those things. And everybody gave honor to this and wanted to control this place because of the importance of it. But if you come and visit Hebron today, you will be walking on a 2,000-year-old floor on top of tombs that are thirty-five to 3,800 years old. What is, what, bringing it back into sort of the today mode, what is the reason for the continual conflict over Hebron? Well, uh, I'll answer that, uh, I think, both spiritually and politically. On the spiritual level, I touched upon it before, uh, there's a competition uh, for who is the who is the chosen son of Abraham? Who has the tradition? Who 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 continues the heritage? Who does God favor? Who does Abraham favor? Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, th- th- I think that there's a spiritual component there that in a place that's so rich, sometimes Westerners can't connect to that. But uh, in the Middle East, is a very historical place, very religious place in many ways. And so it's it's meaningful to people. It, it could be Christians with with Christian texts in the Christian Bible, the Jews with the Torah, the the Arabs, with the Muslims with the Quran. It's important to everybody. Abraham, he's important to everybody, and 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 we fight over things like this in the Middle East. Uh, so that's that's on a spiritual level. On a, on a more technical level, um, Israel. Jewish people lived in Hebron continuously for the last 3,000 years since uh, it was King David's first capital. And all the travelers in in various periods in the Middle Ages always reported that Jews were living in Hebron, always, uh, even more than Jerusalem. Uh, For example, uh, in the year 1165, Maimonides, the Rambam, uh, a very important Jewish doctor and philosopher, came and visited Hebron, and he writes about it. He says, on the on the ninth of Cheshvan, 1165, that's the Jewish month of Cheshvan. I came and I and I and I went into the tombs of the fathers and mothers in Hebron. So so Jews have been living there for a long time. But we were uh, at 3,000 years ago. We were the ethnic majority. But after the Roman destruction of the Second Temple Commonwealth, uh, we became an ethnic minority. Uh, but we continued to exist. Uh, at some point, with the advent of of Zionism in the year 1929. Uh, there was a a big uh, riot, uh, an Arab Muslim riot in the city that was the fruit of a guy by the name Hajamin al Husseini, the the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem, and he was a, a, a Nazi sympathizer. Became actually the head of the Bosnian SS later on, 
but he instigated a riot beforehand. Jews and Arabs lived very, very well there together. But mm-hmm. with the advent of Zionism and more Jews coming back to the land of Israel, there was this sense of an imminent takeover. And there was a, a, a horrific uh, riot that went through the town and ended up killing 69 Jews uh, in the city. And since then, there's been a lot of tensions that even uh, in 1998, the, there was a, a Jewish doctor, uh, uh, Baruch Goldstein, who himself uh, shot at Muslim worshipers, killing 29 worshipers, oh. uh, Muslim worshipers. And so uh, this place that is supposed to be um, something that, that unites Jews and Arabs and all lovers of, a- of Abraham uh, is a place that uh, has also been uh, a place of, of conflict. Today, politically speaking, um, what well, one more step back, which is in, in 1948, uh, Israel declares independence, but Jordan pushes into what was going to be uh, the Jewish state of Israel uh, and takes over the so-called West Bank. Uh, mm-hmm. And we call that Judea and Samaria. Uh, and, and Hebron is in Judea, uh, in south of Jerusalem, one hour south of Jerusalem. And uh, they control it for 19 years until the 1967 Six-Day War. And in the Six-Day War, uh, the Jewish people, Israel, fights. And now, now here's, here's the question how you see it. To today's modern world is occupation. And yet yeah. people like myself see it as liberation. So mm. I always say, is, is, it, is it occupation or liberation? So for, for us, for people like myself, so-called settlers, uh, for us, we are coming back home to our ancestral land uh, and we do not see the legitimacy uh, of other controls. But not everybody agrees with that. Uh, not, not, in, not everybody in the world and even not in the state of Israel. So uh, in, in the 90s and the early 2000s, Israel went through a process called the Oslo Accords in which they gave control of parts of the West Bank uh, to the Palestinian, the created Palestinian Authority. And today, to this very day, Hebron is administered for the most part, about 80% uh, is administered by the Palestinian Authority. And within that, there's an enclave of Jews holding onto this place like we have for the last 3,500 years. And so uh, we are the only Jewish enclave within a Palestinian Authority city. And the people that live in Hebron are tough Jews. Jews that are- that <laughs> you, are almost, you have to be. <laughs> you have to be. You have to be. And that's the Middle East. And you can wish it away, but that's not, just not the way it is. It's a tough, It's a tough place to be. And there is- not a little bit of jihadist ideology in Hebron, which is a mostly Hamas city. And the Jews there are a tough lot as well. And so that leads to uh, conflict. The state of Israel is, has, a, has a problem of ambivalence when it comes to uh, places like Hebron. On the one hand, all Israelis know, and certainly people like former Prime Minister Netanyahu and Prime Minister Sharon, they always knew that Hebron is important because of its historical significance to the Jewish people. I mean, this is the root of our peoplehood, and and you can't deny that. So you can't you can't spit it out. But on the other hand, swallowing it isn't so simple because there's two hundred thousand, as you mentioned in the beginning of the show, it's two hundred thousand Arabs that live there. So there's like a kind of you know catch twenty two about Hebron. Uh, and so what happens is is that there's a certain ambivalence, and within that ambivalence comes unambivalent forces, let's say like Hamas, who say there should be no Jews living in Hebron, and, and Hebron Jews would say, well, we keep this place open uh, for visitation of over a million visitors a year, and if it wasn't for us, people wouldn't be able to come here, and, and we deserve to live here. This is our ancestral homeland, always has been. We've always lived here, uh, even as an mm-hmm. ethnic minority, and so the place is conflicted. 
the place is conflicted. But, <laughs> but, I, but, I, but I do want to tell you something, Lauren. I do want to tell you that my daughter, right before COVID, my daughter, Leah, had a bat mitzvah. Uh, you know, your show, people listening to your show certainly know what about mitzvahs. It's the coming right, right, to, to Jewish womanhood. Now, now my mom is a Russian Jew. And she said to me, you know, you know, Yishai, uh, in our family, we do fireworks for big oh. events. And <laughs> I said to her, okay, okay. And she's like, yeah, your daughter's bought mitzvah. You better get some fireworks. And I turned to the army and they said no. And I turned to fireworks people and they said it would cost a lot of money and this, that. And everybody gave me the runaround. And a week before the bat mitzvah, my mom says, well, what about those fireworks? And suddenly uh, an idea came into my head. I, I, I think that God inspired it. And, and, I, and, I, and I thought to myself, wait a minute. My Arab friends, my Arab colleagues in the Jabri tribe here in Hebron, they know fireworks. Arabs shoot fireworks all the time around here. So I <laughs> called my friend Ashraf Jabri, who is the clan leader of the Jabri tribe. And I said to him, Ashraf. I want you to do me something. I have a bat mitzvah. Can you please shoot fireworks off over the tomb of the patriarchs and matriarchs on my daughter's bat mitzvah? So he was like, what? I said to him, <laughs> you know, I explained to him again. He said, oh, you want me to buy you some fireworks? No, I need you to buy the fireworks, but I also need you to fire them. You have the expertise. <laughs> you have the closeness to the tomb. You know this stuff and you can get away with it. And he finally understood it, and he was greatly honored by my request wow. for him to join my celebration. Uh, and he said to me, fine, you pay for the fireworks, but you shall not pay for any of the handling of it. We'll do it. And at my daughter's bat mitzvah, where, where she gave the tour of the Tomb of the Patriarchs and Matriarchs, suddenly, as we came outside, a, a barrage of, of fireworks went, you know, exploded overhead and went off overhead. And, and when I explained to the guests how I got this to happen. They didn't believe me. <laughs> they didn't believe wow. me. People were like, no. I'm like, yeah. You know, I called my, my Arab friends and, and, I, and, I, and they, were, they were honored by my request. And so, so the reason I tell the story, which, which is a really real story, the reason I tell the story is because, yes, there is conflict, but there is also more cooperation, more uh, 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 living together, uh, coexistence, of a Middle Eastern variety, but more coexistence that people know and report about. There's more beauty. There's more relationship. There's more things that bring us together than people know about. Sadly, uh, some people feel the need to hide that because, uh, because or else they'll get in trouble if they show that they have a relationship yeah. with Jews in, in Israel. But the fact is that that did happen. And every time that Ashraf you know, and I meet in front of other people, he's always telling him this story himself. He's very proud of it. And so, so there is a lot of beauty and, and there's something that brings us together, and that's the tomb of Abraham. I'll tell you, Isaac and Ishmael were probably smiling um, mm -hmm. at that. That's right. And, and that's right. That is really a, um, it's it's sad that we that we can't be that way again. But there's time, and God is patient with us, that's which right. is very very helpful. Um, Yishai Fleischer, I want to thank you so much. Um, if people want to find out more about Hebron, about a biblical background of the ancient um, years of, of Hebron, wh where can they go and find out? Besides so first, reading the book of Genesis. Right. I, I was, that's exactly what I was going to say. I was gonna, first thing, first step is chapter 23, book of Genesis. It's all right there. Uh, and, and, it's, and it's written with, with great drama and flair. So that's, that's the station number one. Station number two is uh, hebron.com. Uh, that's where we've aggregated a lot of the history. And we've only touched on the biblical, but there's, there's much since then as well. 
uh, and also scientific. It's important to, to, to say that it's not just it's not just the Bible. It's not just faith. It's also it's also something that uh, is proven archaeologically and scientifically, and, and it's a matter of fact. And so uh, I want people to 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 check out Hebron.com if they can. Also, I made a a, a movie on YouTube that, that people can check out. It's called Secrets of the Machpelah, or uh, you would probably in English you would read it Matchpelah, but it's Machpelah, which means the the double cave. That's the the name that the Bible gives it. So it would be wonderful if people uh, would check out Secrets of the Machpelah on YouTube, and they'll really get a sense for it. Uh, and myself, it's easier to follow me, Ishai Fleischer, IshaiFleischer.com, and my, my weekly podcast. And I try to connect people to the, to the modern story of Israel through the lens of the Bible and through um, through this. You know, you said that, that God is patient. It's true. And, and yet we are living in a great time in our mind. And our, the way we understand it is with all the challenges, we're living in a time of great revelation uh, and a great promise coming true, a biblical promise coming true yeah. in our time. And and so therefore, you know, uh, the, the, God is patient, but there's no time like the present. Exactly. You know, I, I hope you don't think me irreverent by making one reference point that I always tell people, if you want to understand um, the story of um, Joseph and Jacob, you might want to uh, see Andrew Lloyd Webber's uh, Joseph at the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. <laughs> sure, sure. It there, really, I, I tell people it's, I would say it's about 90%, you know, got most of the facts right in, in terms of who marries who and what happens, um, maybe 80%. But it's still a good way to understand what really goes on as, uh, in that story. So you can kind of understand the, the son's um and that make up the twelve tribes of Israel. Yeah, so. I think there's, I think there's, there's, there's been some great cultural things that were made. Uh, I like TNT's uh, series on, uh, on on the Bible, including you know Abraham. I thought they did a great job there. And there's been many great things, and we may we may need to take a cue from America to you know help make a better brand out of the Bible, a more modern brand. You know, connect people to the story. And that's part of, I think, one of the challenges of Israel today is to, to help people also get back to the Bible. I'll tell you a quick story. I, I had a European group, a young European group, and I said to them, well, for us, you know, the Bible is like for you, Homer. And they gave me blank stares. I'm like, you know, the Iliad, the Odyssey. <laughs> they just looked at me like I was talking. You know, They were like, what are you talking about? Yeah. And I, re- I, realized, I realized that the classics uh, are not as strong today. Uh, no, they're not think, being taught as much today. Right. Right, and I think that the, the 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 book of Genesis is still filled with amazing stories and great lessons for our time. Yeah, Ishan, thank you so much for being on Lighthouse Faith Podcast. This has been a real a real honor. Thank you so much. Thank you, and thank you all for listening to Lighthouse Faith Podcast. I'm Lauren Green. Have a blessed day. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity Podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.